Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 68 for Monday, December 2nd, 2019. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me, as always, is my friend Johnny, but you likely know him better as Pixel Riffs. Good day, sir. Hello! We've already been talking for about half an hour, Joel. <laughs> it's, it might not seem that way to some of you, but uh, the render distance of the pre-show, we talked for a while about No Man's Sky and Pokemon and the the various things that we wish could be better about both, but the fact that we're both kind of enjoying them. And if you want to listen to that, of course, you can get the extended conversation at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. Before we get into today's episode, by the way, quick programming note, uh, because December is the, the holiday month and we're going to be... Uh, taking a break over christmas uh we are going to be we're only going to be having three episodes in december uh this one that you're listening to now uh december 9th is going to be our chunk mail dispenser episode because otherwise we wouldn't get to do one and december 16th because that's the monday after the release of the buzzy bees uh update we are going to be focusing on that primarily presuming there is a lot of stuff to talk about which i think there will be so uh yeah just to keep you guys in mind there are going to be no episodes on i believe the 23rd and the 30th of december and we should be back uh on january 6th with an episode after that just keeping you guys in the loop so I know what I have been up to in Minecraft this week, but I don't know what you've been up to because you've been super busy and we actually haven't spoken since I think maybe the last podcast with the exception of a couple of little quick notes on, on Discord. So like, what, what have you been doing in the game, man? It's been a busy week and largely because I've been waiting for thunderstorms. <laughs> My main project last week was a charged creeper head mob farm. Uh, a charged creeper mob head farm. So I, uh, I I set up a creeper spawning platform with trapdoors overhead so that you only got mobs of a certain height spawning. Ignored the spiders. Uh, the creepers I kept in a tank and name tagged one by one. And then if uh, a thunderstorm happened, I ran back to that area and tried to throw a trident at them unsuccessfully a couple of times. But then... I started an episode where I said, right, we're going to do it today, come hell or high water. And two minutes after I finished recording that clip, uh, I, I switched off my recording software. A thunderstorm happened. <laughs> I immediately switched my recording software back on and was able to carry on the episode. So eventually, yes, the Minecraft gods did bless me with a thunderstorm. And I have now got a mob spawner set up that sorts all of the mobs into uh, zombies go into one cell, skeletons go into another, and creepers go into another. And then minecarts pick them up one at a time and bring them to where the charged creepers come up from the tank below and it's a lot of a lot of messy glass and water streams and stuff so you can see what's happening but i'm now able to isolate one mob at a time because in java edition you only get one mob head per charged creeper uh, which confused the bedrock players who apparently still get as many mobs as you can cram into a single area with a charged creeper which is kind of annoying to me uh but yeah you can you can get one mob head per charged creeper and i now have maybe 15 or 16 mob heads that i just didn't have before a mix of skeletons zombies and creepers for decorative purposes for banner making that kind of stuff and now i'm moving on to something that is basically purely in the opposite direction the farm side of things was technical and gameplay mechanics focused my new project is a ski resort and i've talked about this previously i only ever went there to go out and build this contemporary looking house in the snow biome it's a massive snow biome that covers probably a few thousand blocks in the northern part of my world and i've always thought i'm going to come back here in winter when the weather kind of inspires it a little bit and people are interested in you know skiing and that kind of stuff and i'm going to build custom mountains here and i'm going to have a 
like nice little cozy alpine resort town there and just you know terraforming ahoy and a lot of buildings so i started that yesterday and completed the video for today with uh, a kind of entrance roadway so i'm moving from a medieval kind of style thing into a more modern style of building got a road there made out of gray concrete powder and a big sign over the entrance and I'm, I'm working with perspective a little bit more so there are walls built up made out of stone cobblestone and leaves and ice and that kind of stuff either side of the road so you don't really see the terrain open out in front of you until you're through the gates and you get to look at what will eventually be a decent sized ski resort but right now is just a collection of snow plains and an ice village over on the right hand side but it's um yeah it's it's really fun so far i love working with snow i really wish there was more stuff like snow in the games those sub block layers of stuff and i really wish they did that with sand because you can put in so much more detail and so much more subtlety of terrain using snow layers so i'm i'm really enjoying that project but that's that's me that's the the complete roundup of what i've been doing because nice. yeah last week last week was basically just spent waiting around for a thunderstorm to happen yeah i mean you sent me a screenshot on discord here before we started recording i mean i and i i agree i love what you've done with the walkway and the multi layers of snow and different like varying heights of different snow layers and also really effective is like you know using diorite and different kinds of stone andesite the new andesite texture is also really good for like making it look like frozen rock or rock yes. that might might be a little bit a little bit icy but not like a full ice block like it's some diorite Diorite is perfect for that snow that's been piled up by the side of the road and has probably got a little bit of dirt in it. It turns to slush and then yeah. refreezes. Yep. I'm sure you're familiar, being uh, Canadian. I am. I am, um, I am. Yeah. Yep. And it's it's the kind of stuff we we get it around here every time we have a, a a snowy winter. And yeah, I think diorite is perfect for that, blended in with the snow layers. The fact that we have slabs of raw diorite now as well, especially, I just mm -hmm. think it. Uh, it really adds something and it's a a use for diorite that isn't just hey this is another stone type it's difficult to disguise diorite as anything other than what it is but i think this is one of the few uses where i'm really happy with it from an mm. aesthetic point of view something i miss about the custom texture pack that we had on um realm of vastin for season three when i was building in that snowy biome was the various levels of andesite um diorite and cobblestone that all really went very well together and then so diorite was a little bit cleaner and a little bit whiter and so it really like seamlessly went from like gray to white there was like this nice gradient that you could work with um and i agree i you know i think i just mentioned on the stream the other day that sand being able to do sand in layers would make de desert builds like much cooler uh, and deserts themselves could be much much better looking um yeah if you had like proper proper dune formation in deserts, yeah. it'd be really nice. Once I got past the the initial entrance uh, on your screenshot, though, like my gosh, it's a really pretty biome. Like it's 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 not. I'm gonna I'm gonna say like it's not Minecraft wonky. Like the hills seem to be pretty smooth. There's snow on everything. There's lots of spruce trees everywhere. Like it really feels appropriate, you know, yeah. for for what you're building. And the cool thing about snow plains that I found is that it's you don't see a great deal of variety, or the variety isn't as visible as it is if you're trying to build in a plains that's bordered by, you know, uh, a mountain biome and a swamp and various other things. You know, the grass color changes, the terrain changes, you've got to do a lot of evening out if you want to work on a large scale if you're using regular size default biomes. And snow plains, they have variety of terrain, they have forests, they have mountains, but everything is the same grass colour. It looks more uniform because it's all covered in snow to begin with. 
the composition of the terrain is pretty much the same and it's only really interrupted by those icy rivers which are still very much in keeping with the theme of the area mm -hmm. so for large-scale projects in a world that doesn't have large biomes enabled by default it's actually kind of perfect and so i imagine this project getting quite large in terms of its scope just because the biomes all around it are effectively the same thing nice and dark wood just looks so good in contrast with the white oh snow. yeah like it just Any, anything that can add a little bit of a warm texture to it like dark oak and spruce logs mm -hmm. is just going to be you know it's instantly going to pop out the same goes for the spruce leaves just even putting down a little bit of a, a sort of darker green texture in there really contrasts well with all of the snow and dirt everywhere and yeah you can create some very effective landscapes with very little variation in materials i found nice. the wall i've built is really just you know natural stone and cobblestone with a bit of andesite thrown in here and there yeah it's not complicated it's just textured and subtle in places and and i think it works really well yep and and now that we've got um campfires like i can i'm, I'm behind on your series but i mean i'm looking forward to catching up and watching this because i think i can i can see chimneys <laughs> with with yes. warm fires uh going inside and, and again adding to that kind of like wintry wintry ski lodge mm. feel one, very, of, very cool. one of the one of the challenges is really going to be lighting it up in a way that still has that cozy glow of you search for ski resort town on google and you get loads of pictures that are taken basically at night and there's all of these kind of like lovely warm orangey glowing lights coming out from all of these lovely wooden shacks mm -hmm. and, and and chalets and you feel like this this very inviting sense of it in minecraft of course replicating that means leaving a lot of areas unlit which means mob central mm. so i'm having a hard time reconciling i need to light this place up versus i don't want to melt all of the snow layers because those are really important for the aesthetic of the area and so that's going to be part of a, a, a challenge i think but do, do snow layers not block mob spawns I don't know if they... I think the, the single snow layers don't. I think because if you're walking in them, you're still on the block below them. I think it's only as you start to layer them up below, like right. a, above just one layer, that's maybe when they start to block mob spawns. But even then, I'm not certain. And layering everything in the area up above two snow layers is just going to be a bit of a pain. Well, yeah. Um, not to mention that, yeah, if I have the snow sort of ramping down towards the central road where it's supposed to be a little clearer then inevitably there's going to be some spots i can't light up on the road yeah. and that's where the spawnable blocks are going to be the roofs of houses the tops of signs that kind of thing yeah i do i've been running into that a lot with my own builds last week with uh the nether and you know trying to block zombie pigmen spawns not that they're that dangerous to me but just they're just annoying like it just and yeah I don't they're just the, they're just the worst <laughs> yeah they're just they're really i i i've mentioned this a number of times over the last few weeks in my streams that they don't add anything to the game for me like they just i'm not getting rid of them to protect myself i'm getting rid of them because they just get in the way and yep. and they just they don't they just make noises and the annoying noises and, and kind of walk in places they shouldn't be walking so i mean one of the nice things about um the new features in in the latest update is that you can put redstone on top of doors uh or door frames or tunnel door frames and um block mob spawns that way and it's not visible from below so yeah, um, yeah. carpets you can always see the edge of carpets so as i've seen them previously i've been blocking uh some some mob uh spawns on top of doors with carpets but as i come across one that i see oh look i've got carpet up there i'll go up remove it and put redstone down because it looks much much better uh the only time i can't see it is that uh, I have a custom texture on my black carpet. It has the exact same texture as black concrete. 
And so, because of some void stuff that I wanted to do. Uh, and so if I've got black carpet on top of black concrete and another, you, you just, you can't see the edge of it because it's the same. Um, mm -hmm. and I would argue probably you wouldn't be able to see black wool that well as, or a black carpet with default texture that well either because the things are pretty dark in the nether anyway. Um, but gray and blue and other colors stand out terribly well because they're not the same as say a blue concrete or a gray stone. Gray carpet is a different color. So, um, so they stand out. Uh, and it's, it's funny that you're talking about an icy biome because that's, that's the last tunnel that I completed this week. So over the last little while, I've been pushing these tunnels out from my nether hub and uh, trying to make them non day one Minecraft cobblestone and netherrack walls. They were very function first uh, and aesthetics second for the longest time. Uh, and in some cases I had designed the floors, but I hadn't actually done anything with the walls. And it's been really interesting coming back to the nether hub, which is well over a year old, probably a year and a half actually. Uh, and some of the rooms around it were designed uh, a long time ago and I'm quite happy with them. And then other rooms were like just started or, or designed a long time ago and I'm not happy with them. So I've been kind of going around and, and sprucing things up, pardon the pun. And uh, I did the last tunnel yesterday on stream. We finished up the Northern tunnel, which uh, for me as well, goes to an ice spikes biome. So I made it with like white glass and quartz. And uh, for the first time, I was able to use um, packed ice blocks and light blue glass panes in combination to make kind of like icy stalactites falling from the ceiling. Yeah, yeah. And, I'm, yeah. I'm looking at the, the screenshot now. I assume you're going to put this in the show notes for people. Yes, to I'll have both of them check in the show out. notes, yeah. It looks it looks super great. Is is that just the um, enhanced default shaders you've got running? I honestly don't know. I think that yeah. might be the Silders, like the fancy one. Uh, right. It's, okay. Because yeah. I've got like four or five shader packs, and I've just I've not in, uninstalled the ones I don't like, and so I end up taking four or five screenshots real quick, and then deleting the ones I don't like later, and I don't remember. Mm -hmm. I need to make a mental note and kind of go through and clean up my, my shaders a bit. Yeah, it, it doesn't look too overdone is what, I, um, what I'm thinking. It just looks nice and subtle and yeah. it's just got that, that glow coming from below. It, it looks very atmospheric. I like it a lot. Thanks. Yeah, so I, I think it's just like a, a Silders one, whereas there's, yeah. there's a, or a BSL, because no, BSL was like really orange or something like that. Um, but what's nice about this, it's the same technique that I've been using before where um, the room um, that goes north has got blue, light blue concrete walls, which look great with quartz. It's a very, it's a very light blue, feels almost Roman, you know, in a way, yeah. like a bathhouse, but it also feels very cold. Um, but I didn't want to have this exact same color. So what I did was I put um, a two deep wall with a blue, light blue concrete on the back and a white stained glass on top of it. Now, because mm -hmm. I have a connected glass texture, uh, it really helps with um changing the color so it becomes an even lighter blue almost like a, a frosty blue which is nice kind of a pastel and then i was going to do the icicles um which is just packed ice blocks like basically drawing icicles in minecraft and uh i was going to put them in front of everything but i just didn't want the room to feel too claustrophobic and i didn't want a yeah. wide tunnel i wanted a narrow tunnel and somebody came up with the idea of 
putting them in the glass in my chat room. And I thought, you know, that could look really cool. And sure enough, when you put them in the glass, it gives kind of like a fun edge to them because the white glass and the ice are on the same plane. And so yeah. it gives you this kind of like white edge to the icicle. And then I started building them out um, as they got closer to the roof. And it just, it's something new. It's something different. I didn't want to do pillars. I didn't want to do like a five wide pattern that you just repeat, you know, for the tunnel. I wanted to try and kind of come up with something new. And so this was a lot of fun. And it yeah, really matches... It, Sorry, go ahead. It definitely looks like a, a nice combination of something that's more like a mural where it's all just kind of as though it was painted onto the wall, but then actually having a 3D element of it coming out towards the top where it's you're not going to be banging your head on it every five minutes. It's... Uh, yeah, I, I, like, I like that style of stuff where it's sort of half just a wall design and then half really coming into the room as a, a, a 3D element. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of fun and I've, I like doing stuff like this because it's, it's pretty random. Like you don't have to worry about having a tight pattern and having things be evenly spaced. You just kind of like randomly have this ice kind of like go in an angle or go up three or over two or whatever. You just kind of try to make it look as organic as you can. So the trick I find is just not think too much, just kind of like yeah. throw down some, some quote unquote lines, I'll call it, uh, and then go from there. And so that, this was really fun. And I, I've managed to complete all of the other rooms, the only thing left, which is not part of the initial navigation uh, from the Nether Hub, is the Iron Farm room. Uh, and that I'm leaving until I finish the fixes on the Iron Farm because it's currently broken with the new mechanics. And so mm -hmm. until I fix that and know what it's going to look like, there's no sense in changing the room uh, to look like uh, the new Iron Farm. So that's the only thing that's left out. So the only room that still has like an open door that doesn't have any decoration and it still has a nether rack ceiling but everything else is done and sort of color coded and i didn't realize it until i walked around at the end of the stream the other day but as you go around from from direction to direction i've managed to kind of blend colors so if you go west to the desert it's sand if you go south to the dark oak forest it's dark oak like these are the colors that kind of strike you when you go in these main tunnels but those are the cardinal directions. If you go to the rooms that are connecting on the offshoots, so the northeast or the southwest, etc., I've managed to kind of like meld them together. So mm -hmm. when you go from south to west, you go to a combination room of dark oak and sandstone before you get to the sandstone. And then if you go from west to north, which is uh, sandstone and quartz, uh, you go into this weird mix room where it's a combination of sandstone and prismarine. And then you get into the blue. And so it right, gradually yep. takes you around. So as you're, if you decide to not go in the nether hub and run around in circles, you actually start to see the color shift from like yellow to yellow and brown to brown. And then from brown to brown and gray to gray. And then from green and gray to, um, I guess one of them is a utility tunnel. So it's a little bit more gray. And then it switches over to white and blue and then blue and turquoise and then back to sandstone again and i it's it's really effective and uh way better than signs i i like the idea of color coding the tunnels either by design or by color or whatever you want to do rather than having a, a little wood sign on a thing that says go this way to desert you know yeah it, it's something that feels a little bit more intuitive as a means of navigation without having to make it all wordy and stuff you're yeah, showing exactly. people where to go instead of telling people where to go yeah, exactly. And it, it not not having to stop and redesign is also kind of cool. I mean, we, mm -hmm. we, we do still have them. It's just that they're hidden in the doorways, like they're tucked away so you can't actually see them. 
And, yeah. and so, so that way new people on the server or people that are trying to find like, you know, which direction is the wither skeleton farm or whatever, like at least that way, you know, you can um, find your way should you need to. But now instead of saying like telling someone, you know, northeast, south or west, you can just say, go down the red tunnel. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or go like go down the sandstone tunnel it goes to the desert and people are just like well which one is like well okay it's the bright yellow one <laughs> like it's very easy to find and mm -hmm. so it's been a lot of fun from some for an artist that likes to design things and when you design things they always have a purpose you know like you're always trying to communicate something so doing this kind of stuff i didn't realize just how much information i was communicating to a player that's wandering around on, on the citadel so it's it's been a lot of fun super cool uh let's get into the news because there's a lot of it so i yeah. feel like we should really cover that sooner rather than later so we can start off with the minecraft 1.15 pre-releases uh pre-release 2 came out like the day after our podcast last week mm -hmm. uh, pre-release 3 came out somewhere in between uh and i anticipate maybe another pre-release is going to be coming out this week before the full release uh on next tuesday i believe or next, next tuesday yes the yeah. 10th yeah the 10th uh, so the, the, I mean, to kind of summarize in pre-release two, they tweaked chunk loading performance calculations settings, uh, the respawn point by using a bed now shows a message, uh, to confirm that you've done that, uh, added stats for anvil and grindstone interaction counts, fixed bugs worth noting are items thrown at the side of a honey block will keep their horizontal trajectory despite slower speed that's been fixed and traveling back from the nether creates a new portal in a random location also fixed which is good because uh, i heard a lot of people complaining um about the nether you know portal situation with the snapshots so that's good yeah um a lot of the other bugs which are all listed on the minecraft.net post uh refer to rendering and texture pack bugs that they are squashing as they move forward so um that's all good like i mean it's, if you want to read them there's a there's a huge list of them but we picked out a couple that we thought were worth worth mentioning yeah, moving on to pre-release three, um, there is more chunk loading and performance fixes. Uh, text colors on signs now match how they looked in previous versions, so presumably a little bit brighter. Um, they've made sure foxes are not players, <laughs> and I think that's probably just uh, something to do with mob pathfinding and maybe like targeting foxes or maybe thinking that... Uh, like a fox was a player for the purposes of commands and teleporting them and that kind of stuff. Uh, not quite sure. A little bit cryptic, but still. Uh, fixed bugs worth noting from this pre-release were, were that water wasn't properly connecting to itself. That is now fixed. And uh, glitchy chunk rendering was back in the previous pre-release and is now also fixed. Um, there do seem to be a lot of these returning bugs uh, that, for whatever reason, they've adjusted one thing and then something has come back. Kind of like Ghost Blocks did in the later versions of minecraft 1.14 uh yeah. so some some little tweak here and there has just brought a bunch of other issues back in so hopefully that's some stuff that they can iron out before uh we get the launch next week and if you do go to minecraft.net from our show notes we'll have a link to the direct um a post for the the snapshots but minecraft.net itself i noticed got a redesign and uh, a much needed one it is much clearer and and craftier in the way that they present information to you and we're expanding the minecraft library it, it reminded me uh full force that when you land on minecraft.net now front and center are a list of minecraft games plural with an s minecraft minecraft dungeons and minecraft earth and unfortunately, hidden behind the sideways scroll is a fourth listing for Minecraft Education Edition. 
And uh, if you go to the games at the top, they list all four without a scroll. So uh, they're obviously pushing the various versions of, of Minecraft and the different games that are coming out. So that's exciting and reminded me that we've got a release date for Minecraft Dungeons, I believe, in April. So uh, Yeah, a- April 2020. Nice. So that that's going to be super cool. Uh, news and stuff is just a little bit further down on a on a ticker, very similar to what it was before, but I think again cleaner, easier to see uh, what you might be looking for, uh, and then on down the line to different different things. Uh, something that I did notice when I was exploring, however, is that when you go to the community page, there is a link for Minecraft streaming, and when you click on that, you'll get links to either Minecraft streams on Mixer. Or Minecraft streams on Twitch, and they're just simple links that take you to the game listing. It's it's no different than if you went to Twitch and just searched for Minecraft to find out who was maybe streaming that day. And I think it's interesting that that they have these links prominent uh, on on the Minecraft.net page. I think it's uh, speaking to what they know is that that it's one of the top games being streamed around the planet right now, which I think is great. Yeah, and also quite cool of them to link to Twitch considering they're owned by Microsoft and so is Mixer. Yeah. So they're still kind of clearly acknowledging the majority of people are going to be finding Minecraft streams on Twitch, but here is a little kind of <laughs> a little side yeah. side glance at our own property as well. Well, I mean, um, bottom line, more more eyes on Minecraft is more eyes on Minecraft. It doesn't really matter whether absolutely. it's YouTube yeah. or Mixer or whatever, yeah. Yeah. Uh, moving on, we have another snapshot, but not one for the Buzzy Bees update. It's another combat update snapshot, which was released on Reddit on Thanksgiving on the, uh, last Thursday. Um, there are a lot of different changes here, a lot of which will be more um, you know, valuable to people who play PvP regularly. I'm not going to go into all of them here because... I don't quite know how to pass some of these. It, it might be a bit more relevant to you than it is to me. Uh, but I thought I'd drag out the highlights for us as PvE players and for anyone else who wants to go and check out this that hasn't already. The link, of course, will be in the show notes. Uh, the highlights for PvE players are that arrow accuracy has been increased, which is basically technically decreasing the uncertainty value of which direction an arrow would go. So they're a little bit more accurate now. Um they've added an option to disable using shields when crouching in the accessibility menu which was a parity thing with bedrock where that's how you use shields but i think a lot of java players pushed back on that and said we already use shields a certain way why have it both ways basically um tridents can now be shot from dispensers tridents with loyalty that fall into the void will now return to their owners and tridents with impaling now deal enchantment damage to all mobs that are in water or rain. Those three are trident behaviors that were all on bedrock, and with this combat update snapshot are being brought over to Java as well. Aside from that, snowballs now stack to 64, which I'm putting in the PvE column simply because it's much easier to craft a lot of snow blocks if they stack with more than 16, so you can craft more than 16 at a time. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot to unpack here. As far as the combat snapshot goes, I think the trident parity changes are really excellent. Um, they balance tridents much better, specifically the fact that impaling now deals extra damage to any mob if it's just in water or it's currently raining at the time. That really balances tridents because the only hostile mob that was really affected by tridents before was guardians because they're the only thing that counts as a hostile water mob even the drowned as we've covered previously count in the undead column so impaling doesn't do any extra damage to them but now it's going to detect whether or not the mob is standing in water or is standing out in the rain and you're going to be able to deal more damage to it with a trident so technically 
that's kind of cool for PvE players, but it might also create an interesting environment for PvP players if, you know, it happens to be raining at the time, you've got a trident, your opponent doesn't, suddenly you have a bit of an advantage. Nice. Also, with the dispenser functionality, trident killers may be possible in Java Edition that are in Bedrock. This is... um something that people have brought up on several of my survival guide videos at this point you know why don't you create a an afk mob farm where a trident is killing stuff for you and that's only possible in bedrock edition right now and that's kind of one of the more common methods for technical players to earn xp is because using a trident on a mob i think technically still counts as a player kill in bedrock right now so you're still automating it and you're able to uh, to farm mobs that way so it might be possible to do that in Java, but at the very least, it adds the dispenser functionality, which might be useful for a whole variety of other things. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking like, what if your mob was being dropped into water so that mm. the trident would do more damage to the mob? Have if a it's hop got impaling. Yeah, have a hopper yeah. underneath that, collect the trident, put it back in the dispenser, shoot it again. Like just, it could be, the only trick there is I guess that you're eventually your trident is going to run out of durability. Yes, presumably. Um, but I imagine there would be ways around that. And if you have a stack of tridents, which people often do on Bedrock Edition, I right. expect they're kind of ten a penny at that point. So it's something you'd really need a drowned farm for. Yeah, uh, exactly. But, but but then you could have like a self-sustaining drowned farm if you were collecting tridents from the drowned and then also pumping those some of them back into the system. Like you could exactly. Yeah. No, that that's that's a really cool idea. I I like when things like this that are meant to be PvP changes also kind of spin over into PVE and farming. I think that's mm -hmm. that's a really cool note. I also liked um, the thing about tridents being thrown into the void coming back, which is nice. Oh, yeah. It sounds to me like the in order to get loyalty to work on a trident, it's like the code first needed for it to impact a block. But of course, it yes. doesn't do that when it goes into the void. It yeah, just disappears. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's I think a lot of people that want to use the tridents in their um, end exploration uh, will probably uh, enjoy that. Because I would imagine that would be uh, a good tool to use against a um a shulker uh like a, a yeah. weapon against a shulker for me i i don't use tridents i don't i only have the one and i've i've used it maybe once to go oh okay that's what it feels like to throw it but i've just never really bothered with them because they just they don't have as much i guess impact for me as a player uh as they would in other situations but now that some of these changes are coming they they might kind of rise the ranks a little bit um yeah the default attack range I noticed have been decreased by a half block to 2.5 blocks. Uh, that to me, I'm not sure that's a good thing. I think for PvP, it might be good. But for PvE, like I already have trouble hitting Endermen that are at the back of my Endermen farm and they're only two and a half blocks away now or three blocks away now. Yeah, and so it's, I, it's, I it's worth know. noting. Sorry, it's worth noting that that is the default attack reach and swords have a separate attack reach value. So if you're using ah, a sword to swipe okay. at stuff, I think the the sword attack reach is actually just 3.5, okay. and it, it isn't affected by the default attack reach stats. So uh, okay, that's good to know. You might and, you might yeah. not have as much problem there. And that's why I brought it up because like, well, it's okay. I don't know what like default attack reach. I'm not sure what is what is augmented with other tools that sort of thing. And I think that's one thing that they explored early on in the combat updates was that different tools had different attack ranges, if I remember. Yeah, different yeah. weapons. Um, the so there. there they're expecting axes to be like a much more close range thing mm -hmm. and swords to keep people at a distance. Yeah. Uh, speaking of axes, one of the things I noted was that they could put enchantments on axes, which I thought was really cool because if you're not dealing with a lot of PVE stuff, if you're doing mostly PV or sorry, PVP stuff, but you're dealing mostly, mostly with the environment, 
if you're just out collecting trees and stuff like that, and you needed a lot of inventory space, like that one extra item that you have to have that sword on your hotbar, if you've just got an axe that has all of the same enchantments on it that a sword does, then you could potentially have one less thing to have to carry with you if you're not really into combat right now, if you're just building. That way your attack tool and your chopping tool are the same. And I think that that's, that's a pretty cool thing, not only for RP, um, but also for just like efficiency and, and playing the game. Yeah, definitely. It's a shame that you can't get looting on axes right now, but I think um, you can already get sharpness and smite and so forth. The change specifically is that you can now apply all of those in the enchantment table as opposed to having to enchant them directly with books. Um, but yeah, you can you can definitely have a sharpness axe now, but yeah, it it's, it's also ties into the fact that in previous snapshots they have... Um, decrease the amount of durability damage an axe takes so it now only does one durability when attacking kind of legitimizing it as a weapon mm. and it's still kind of slow to use but if you're you know one-shotting stuff with a smite axe you don't really need to worry too much about the timing of things so yeah worth worth having worth having i think yeah um, i, I missed the part about the exchanging table being the like the, the caveat to that to that note yeah yeah um, the arrow accuracy thing I thought was worth bringing up because arrow accuracy isn't just about combat. Um, various people have made um, secret entrances to bases where you have to shoot an arrow with a, a shoot a button with an arrow, mm-hmm. and if your arrow veers off to the side and shoots the block next to it, it's not particularly great. Um, so depending on your your personal accuracy, I guess, but also the random variation the game would add to it it's just making stuff like that a little bit more efficient which is nice i wonder if that's also going to affect how arrows are shot from dispensers because that could make certain redstone contraptions a bit more reliable as well especially with the new target block coming yes yeah definitely i i I wonder if those two sort of go hand in hand as it were well given the target block has like a higher redstone output the closest to the bullseye that you are i would imagine that it would be wholly frustrating in a mini game if like there's a lot of randomness in there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like when you're you're saying, "Hey, be skillful, but we're going to mess with you." <laughs> like I, yeah. I don't know how fun that would be. I think it'd be more it, it would be more fun to have accuracy be um a higher priority, I think in those situations. I kind of wonder if it's going to apply also to crossbows and also what happens when you shoot a target block with multi-shot and you end up with three arrows in three different locations. Is the, <laughs> is the redstone output going to multiply as a result? We don't know. All of the um, above. Yes, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, let's move on to chunk mail, though, because we've got a, a nice long email here from somebody who has a little bit of interesting input in Minecraft Earth news, and I'm going to have to scroll down so I can see the pronunciation guide. Elbe Wilyami. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Thank you so much for your email. Uh, it says, Hi, Joel and Picks. You asked for a bit more of a frosty view on Minecraft Earth, and I'm here to deliver that. I agree with the points you've discussed about the game in previous episodes, so I'm going to repeat as little as possible and con- concentrate more on the Finnish side of the experience. I found it quite peculiar that Minecraft Earth was released in Finland, among other cold countries, in November. You've got to be really dedicated to go out and tap-tap the tappables while it's cold and snowing and your phone is going crazy because the screen is getting wet. On top of that, you haven't felt anything with your pinky in 15 minutes since using a touch surface and wearing gloves don't match too well. That mental image aside, I've actually really enjoyed playing Minecraft Earth. I'm currently saving up my rubies and resources for a bigger build plate and a clock tower build. You talked about Minecraft essential builds in the last episode, and a clock tower is definitely high on my list of essentials. In my opinion, the app is great, but it has two major hiccups. Number one, 
These types of games, like Minecraft Earth and Pokemon Go, have the feature slash floor that they're fun to play in areas which are more densely populated, which Finland is not. I myself am lucky enough to live fairly close to a town centre and can walk in circles in my flat and collect tappables, but my friend five kilometres away has a hard time collecting the same resources. Then there is also the fact that adventures happen quite far away. That wouldn't be such a problem without hiccup number two, battery. I have an older phone, so when it gets cold enough, it has a hard time clinging onto battery life while doing nothing. I can play a solid 5-10 to 10 minute session of Minecraft Earth without a power bank before the screen just goes black. With that battery usage, I don't see myself playing it outside without a portable charger. In conclusion though, Minecraft Earth has a lot of potential. Uh, thanks for the amazing podcast you're doing. It's perfect listening to the more grindy side of Mine it's perfect listening for the more grindy side of Minecraft. And special thanks to the survival guide. Thank you. Uh, I got back into Minecraft this year after last playing in alpha. I'm excited for the coming soon bees and bugs, but most excited about the beds we now have. Have a great week, Elbe Wilyami. Thank you so much for for that considered approach. And it's nice to hear that you know having the uh, the two floors that you mentioned, which I think are really quite large, in that you know you can't find stuff without going a certain distance while it's cold and wet outside and that your battery dies you're still being very forgiving about the app having a lot of potential i think yeah i i noticed that the other day i um i was going to play minecraft earth on the way home from the gym and i could not because i forgot to update it before i left the house so when i opened up the app it just said oh hey um you need to download this 128 megabyte update it was like oh no yeah I'm not yeah. doing that right now uh and then i closed the app and my phone shut off I was like, what? <laughs> and so I don't think it was the app that crashed it. I think it was just a cold day. I was at the bus stop and I don't have a case on my phone. So uh, an iPhone specifically being aluminum is a rather decent conductor of temperature. And so when the phone gets cold enough, it just shuts off. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. I could be doing nothing. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, I can watch my phone go from 30% to just off. And from what I can gather is the sensor just thinks that the battery is empty because it can't read it because it's frozen uh so um when it comes to minecraft earth and battery performance and temperature stuff like I, the reason why i haven't played minecraft earth is because it's been chilly out and miserable and i just haven't had that urge uh that doesn't keep me from playing it in the house i don't have any tappables near me everything seems to be just out of reach in a frustrating mm -hmm. sort of way um, yeah, my building is not that large that I can walk up and down the hallways and, and try to get closer <laughs> to tappables. Um, yeah, but I just, for whatever reason, I just haven't taken the time to unlock that next build plate and even play on my coffee table, which I could do. Uh, and that to me, I think is, it's less about the performance. Cause I mean, I could plug it into the wall if I really wanted to. Uh, so that's, it's not battery because I'm home. It's for me, I think it's the small screen. I, it, it's not the experience that I wanted. I, I would think that, and I would be curious, now that we have some Finnish perspective, I wonder if anybody is using Minecraft Earth on an iPad, like a big, or, or not, we'll say iPad, tablet, uh, anything that has like a, a, a 9 to 12 inch screen. I'm wondering what that experience is like compared to a phone. Yeah, I've been playing with an iPad at home because I have an iPad oh. that is only... I have a Wi-Fi enabled one, but not a, a 4G enabled one. So I haven't been able to go out and about with it. Um, but I've been using that to capture any footage where I'm building on a build plate because the battery life is enough to sustain it for up to the half hour required to build these 8x8 tutorials I'm doing. And the experience of it is much the same, really, as it is on an iPhone. Obviously, the bigger screen is more helpful when you're building stuff on build plates. It's much less that you have to worry about being precise with where you're tapping because the, the canvas is larger, as it were. Um, but the uh, the problem I have found is that the 
interface hasn't been rescaled to match the larger resolution of the iPad. And so when you're working with stuff like the crafting or smelting uh, inventories, you have the crafter sort of section of the GUI takes up half the screen. The other uh, half of the screen is like a scroll of three or four different recipes before you have to keep scrolling. And they just haven't resized that to take advantage of the fact that there is much more screen real estate available. And obviously it's an iPad and they release one iPad version that has to meet the full range of devices. And mine is one of the larger iPad models, but it's still, yeah, I feel like the the there are some aspects of it that could be resized. Even just like a drag to resize bar would be kind of helpful there. But yeah, um, that's unfortunate. Yeah. That's an oversight because it, it, having a larger screen for that kind of experience is going to be essential, I think. Yeah, um, and it is really nice, to be honest. It's quite comfortable to build with, and with it being a newer iPad, it's actually got quite a reasonable battery life. So yeah. I'm, I'm a lot happier playing on that than I am on my phone, the problem being that I can't really take it out of the house unless I have guaranteed access to Wi-Fi. Mm. Um, that, that said, I have been playing Minecraft Earth much less over the last week or so, mostly because the weather's been bad and I haven't had the time, um, but also because right now, aside from the fact that they've recently added seeds in the game so that you can farm... Um, there's less need to go out and collect stuff when you have most of the available resources. And until they add more building blocks to the game, I don't see myself going around town tapping on stuff and acquiring loads and loads of, you know, stone and that kind of stuff, because I've got all of the stone I could reasonably need if I'm only building within a 16 by 16 area maximum. Um, I also didn't get to go and claim my Jolly Llama because when I went to go up to my friend's house for the weekend, all of the trains to London were not running from Brighton. So uh, it was the only option we had really was uh, to get a, a bus that was going to take twice as long. So I, I didn't go to the Jolly Llama exhibit after all, uh, but those are going to be released you know, to everybody as of December. So fairly soon we should see an update to the app which will include those and you'll just be able to get them walking around in the world. We hope we will see. Nice. Well, you had the idea to do a village and pillage retrospective for a main topic this week. And I think it's an excellent opportunity to take a look back at Minecraft 114 before 115 yeah. comes out next week. So, uh, what what were your what were your thoughts in terms of this? Like where how did you want to kind of like start the conversation off? Well, it's it's interesting because I don't think 115 is going to be particularly heavy on content. We know that it's going to be relatively light in terms of features and it's mainly bug fixes. So I feel like we're still going to be playing 1.14 once 115 comes out. You know what I mean? Like the, yep. the village and pillage aspect has changed fairly fundamental things about the game, like villagers and so forth. So I feel like to, to kick us off, like we are really going to be continuing to talk about these features going forward and i feel like even the full potential of some of them hasn't quite been tapped into yet perhaps even because the mechanics have been changing since 1.14 prime came out we're now on 114.4 and a lot of stuff looks very different uh, so let's talk a little bit about what changed first of all 114 had a kind of disastrous first release simply because of the amount of chunk rendering issues that were present and it quite quickly became noticeable that there were a lot of bugs with this version, which I feel like is really what 115 is seeking to uh, correct and to, to kind of improve upon going forward. That said, the features were really quite interesting to start diving into. And I feel like off the top of my head, villager workstations and villager trading in general are really the standout to me. Uh, certain trades are really useful. I haven't smelted glass for months because librarians trade it 
and I can give them one emerald and they give me four glass. And right now, because of a bug, unfortunately, uh, I can do that as many times as I want during the workday hours of a Minecraft day. So I can acquire a few shulker boxes worth of glass as long as I've got enough emeralds to trade. Uh, we also had the stonemason villager added uh, because, um, yeah, that, that was a really great addition. I think quartz trade is is great. Being able to save all of the raw quartz that you uh, harvest from the nether and just buy quartz blocks from stonemasons uh, feels like a really good addition to the game. I was hoping for renewable quartz in the form of some sort of mob, and instead we got it as a villager trade, which was a direction I wasn't expecting them to go. So that's pretty cool. Um, how do you feel about villagers, the, the villager experience in general as of 114? So I haven't spent a great deal of time with villagers, and I think in some respect it has to do with the fact that I'm very much playing Endgame on a server that's two and a half years old and yeah. uh, have not needed to utilize villagers for things like mending books and things like that. Because of the changes coming with 114, I took the time to trade a bunch of stuff with the existing villager trading hall that we had designed on the Citadel and uh which no longer works of course because there's no profession blocks and what profession blocks are in there were very quickly added probably next to the librarians just for the people that wanted to get those extra books yeah and um we haven't put any time or effort uh into changing anything because of the fact that we knew it was going to change again with with 115 so i've been waiting for the dust to settle on villager trading i I haven't gone through and done like the emerald farms and getting like stacks and stacks of glass and stacks and stacks of quartz. I probably should have, but for me, I just like wasn't really a big priority. Although I'm starting to run pretty low on quartz now. Um, I like the addition of the traits. I like the new trade interface. I like the new villager textures. Like, I mean, all of it points towards, I think, a better way uh, to deal with villagers compared to what we used to have to do. Uh, yeah. in terms of trading with and unlocking them and stuff like that. Uh, I like the fact that it introduces new game mechanics where then emeralds become more valuable and then maybe an emerald farm is in your thing. Like, I mean, it, the, it snowballs into a bunch of really cool to-do list things for people that want to go down that that rabbit hole, which I think is, is fantastic. Um, I really like the idea of the profession blocks. I think that it adds quite a bit. When the pathfinding is working, now that they've refined it a bit, um, having the experience of going to a new, we'll say Taiga village, for example, and seeing that the uh, blacksmith is next to the smithing block, you know, which is in their house or in, or in front of their house or something, you know, uh, I think I have that right. I think that's the right, the right villager in the right block. Um, yeah. It's difficult because that's, that's one of the blocks that doesn't have any functionality right now, but outside of um, being a profession block. And so that sort of stuff, I think really adds a lot of immersion to to the villages that makes them feel more important and more i'll say individual even though it's not the case but like it just, that, that kind of impression as a player is cooler it gives them more of a role you kind of know what you want to do and then can inspire builds like if you want to build a really cool looking blacksmith um build then you could potentially bring a villager to it and add a blacksmith profession block and have that villager be your blacksmith you know you can go there yeah. for trades you can do all that kind of stuff not um, to mention the fact that there are now new outfits for each of these villagers. So yes. the personality of villagers really starts to come through a little bit instead of them just having mm -hmm. a white coat or a black apron. They now have, you know, an eye patch and some tools on a tool belt or mm -hmm. they've got a book on their head because they're a librarian or the cartographer has a monocle. You know, there, there are definitely a lot more, you know, personality features being added. And like you said, that contributes to immersion in a big way. 
And if you were someone that wanted to do some custom textures, then it just opens up a bunch of different things uh, to very easily go in and change those textures into something that you want to represent a butcher or, you know, um, a cartographer or a librarian, that kind of thing. I mean, like you could, I mean, you could do all kinds of really nerdy stuff. You could make the librarian look like Harry Potter if you really wanted to, you know, like this, this, <laughs> this really, like there's stuff like that that I think is really nice for the people that like to tinker a little bit more. Um, I also, uh, while we're talking about profession blocks, um, those to me stood out in terms of um, both the cool addition of textures, things that were sorely needed in Minecraft, the blast furnace, the smithing table, I think the bottom of the stone cutter, they have a, a fairly metallic look to them. They're just a little bit yeah. shinier than something like smooth stone, but not as, we'll say, single purpose as, say, like an iron block, which doesn't really seem to be able to be used for much um, other than just storing iron. And they they really added a much-needed metallic library, albeit very small and limited because it's mostly the tops or the bottoms of the blocks. A uh, little bit more flexibility with the... Uh, blast furnace having like a cool 50 50 percent you know texture on the back of it which i've used actually to my advantage in in my uh, wither skeleton farm um mm -hmm. but then you have the flip side of that which is like the very uh limited use case if anything uh so smithing table and fletching table still have no function i'm assuming those are probably coming with the combat update um and that's just an that's just a guess uh but then you also have the blast furnace which to me was really disappointing because you're like well it it smelts ore twice as fast, but no one needs ore smelted once you're at endgame. Like you just, it's not quite as useful as it looks like it might be. Um, yeah. One nice thing about data packs is that you can uh, control the speed at which things are smelted. So I have not implemented it yet, just because I haven't had the time. But I do have on my computer a downloaded data pack that takes. All of the things that you would normally smelt in a furnace, like netherrack, glass, stone, uh, non-mineral um, blocks, and smelts them twice as fast in a blast furnace. That's it. That's all it is. It's a simple change. It's the same thing that the blast furnace does, just for more blocks, which to me just makes sense. And it's the kind of thing where like you you realize it doesn't do it, and then you look at its sister block, the, the smoker, which I think is an excellent addition to the game. Uh, cooks chicken twice as fast, cooks pork, you know, all the food gets cooked twice as fast as you would think it would. And then the blast furnace doesn't do its thing. So that, that to me is one of those things about 114 that I found was like a little bit, it's lovely to have all these new things. I don't ever want to sound like I'm saying like, boom, you gave us new blocks. But there are these little things that feel like they're oversights. And these are the kind of things that kind of bubble to the top when I think about 114. It's either stuff that has been broken since the start and been through so many iterations that I haven't played with it because I don't know where the dust is going to settle or there are things that I, I haven't really utilized because, well, the functionality just isn't there. Like why would I bother to build blast furnaces when they really only smelt things that I don't need them to smelt? Um, so I've only been using them as a, as a decorative block. Um, and the, the, the answer is you put them in your with a skeleton, you know, fortress yeah. farm. And that's, yeah, that's the exactly. some, somehow become the prevalent use for blast furnaces. Yeah. And I don't mind that they're expensive. Like, I mean, if you want to give us fancier blocks and you make them and you make them um, harder or more interesting to craft, I won't say harder, but like, you know, give them a unique crafting recipe. Then that means that I have to have more iron. I have to have more stone or slabs or, you know, I can't remember the the blast furnace off the top of my head but it's a pretty pricey block if you want to use like you know hundreds of them in a build and so um that to me i think was was something i didn't mind you know like i was like okay well cool it just it means i have to be a little bit more um 
crafty, pardon the pun, in terms of the resources I gather and what I dedicate to, you know, um, to furnace blocks. Because I think I ended up mixing them with regular furnaces because I realized quite quickly how expensive the whole build was going to be if it was nothing but, uh, nothing but um, blast furnaces. Um, with with regards to the profession blocks and some of the things that you think might be missing from, say, um, the Village and Pillage update, um, anything stand out to you? Uh... I don't know. I mean, obviously, aside from the smithing table and the fletching table, I think most of it seems fairly complete to me at this point. You've hit on blast furnaces, which are my yeah, definitely my other my other sticking point. Um, and we had things like additional stairs and slabs. Thinking of other building blocks, we've had you know all of the stair and slab variants. I say all uh, a lot mm -hmm. of the stair and slab variants of other stone materials and and a few things that were missing there. We've got walls of various kinds now as well but there are of course still some gaps uh we will famously talk about cracked stone slabs not being a thing uh there are also things like polished walls of granite andesite and diorite aren't a thing to my knowledge and yeah there are <laughs> there are definitely a few which are missing but then the ones that we do have now i think are a vast addition and more so than you might expect just having natural stone slabs and stairs has transformed terraforming oh for yeah me. terraforming is so much improved because we have more than just uh cobblestone or smooth stone slabs to work with now and you can create some really interesting effects that way my my ski village entrance uh sort of you know roadway is an example of that where i've used just natural stone and cobblestone because i have the option to do that because natural stone has slabs that allow for that subtle height variation you would expect from natural terrain mm -hmm. i so that's, i uh, I find, like you said, there's some obvious things that are missing. For example, I mean, I know you mentioned smooth stone. I know you what I know you, what you mean, but for the for the literal net out there, smooth stone stairs don't actually exist, and they should. We've got smooth yeah. stone blocks. We've got smooth stone slabs. Uh, there's no smooth stone walls, but there's also no smooth stone stairs. Just the the straight up stone has got all those variants, and. I'm really surprised that they didn't add that kind of stuff in there when they went through, we'll say, quote unquote, all of the stone and added these different variations. They've taken the time to add um, stone stairs and slabs and smooth stairs and slabs to sandstone and red sandstone. There's a lot of different variations that you can do there. I really like the smooth sandstone, by the way. It, it's, a, it's akin to using natural stone stairs in terms of um, sculpting a build and making it look like it's chiseled out of one piece. Uh, yeah, I, re I really quite like that effect. Uh, it's also a nice break in any kind of heavy texture. A lot of the sandstone blocks are chiseled or have lines in them, and using a smooth sandstone block is a nice break for your eye when you're designing something. Um, but then we have things like endstone bricks that have stairs and slabs and walls, and I have yet to see any of the people that I follow use them. <laughs> so yeah. it's it's one of those things where like you took the time to put that in there, and I I appreciate that there are probably some people out there that love their endstone and are very happy to have it, but those were added and then these other small little things are overlooked like cracked stairs and slabs like um uh, polished versions of those walls polished versions of walls would be awesome uh in mm -hmm. terms of like you know um andesite and and uh and granite and stuff um and that reminds me speaking of like some some more of the polished and finer stuff one of my favorite additions uh that i've used to great effect in village and pillage are campfires and uh yes and lanterns uh those are really cool still think lanterns should be able to be attached to the side of things that to me is a little bit again one little teeny thing that seemed like an obvious 
ad that isn't there. But campfires, so much fun to play with the smoke effect. Yeah, definitely. Just having the particle effects and having a little bit of functionality thrown in, but not essential. Like, I have not used campfires to cook a whole bunch of stuff yet, uh, but it's still it's still super nice to have that as an option. And the unlit campfire being used as a kind of lattice or a kind of yeah. trellis for, for outdoor builds is, is super fun. I've seen a lot of people using that for, like, rustic porch roofs and that kind of thing. So th there are a variety of things you can do with a campfire that I think make them a, a very valuable addition to the game. Yeah, I've seen a, an unlit campfire used as, like, a train track bridge, like a minecart rail sort of bridge yes. situation. It's, it's very cool. Uh, something that um, I have not used and... It's for no other reason other than I just haven't had the need, and that's um, scaffolding and bamboo. Uh, yeah. A yeah. good part of that is that I'm just not building things that are that high. And so it's just faster <laughs> for me to have 16 netherrack in my inventory and just jump up five or six blocks and then jump down. It instamines, like it's fine. Um, but I'm also not building anything that's more than like 10 blocks tall. Like, you know, the, yeah. the ceilings in my nether tunnels are not like 30, 40, 50, 60 blocks away. My nether hub was built two years ago so it like it, and that's a huge build but it, i didn't have i didn't have um scaffolding at the time so i wouldn't have thought to use anything like that um i i have a custom texture pack on my scaffolding when i have tried to use it it creates a small hole in the top of it so it's less obtrusive when you go to go through it it doesn't like flash your screen with mesh yeah texture yeah yeah uh which i think is great um but again i haven't built anything super large i may change my tune when we move on to do like a modern city build which is is, is on the slate in the citadel uh server and when i start building skyscrapers that are 90 blocks tall well maybe i'm going to change my tune about scaffolding yeah, I I like scaffolding a lot when I remember to use it. It's one of those things that is also a little bit difficult to master. It's got some odd behaviors that almost seem contrary to the way we expect to place blocks. But once you get the hang of it, it is pretty useful. And I find it mostly useful for creating high AFK spots. If you need to be like above a farm by 128 blocks, you just place two stacks of scaffolding from the bottom upwards and then you climb it. And it's a, it, it looks very temporary, but you can use a lot of those on a more permanent basis. Right. And it's just nicer than creating an ugly netherrack pillar that you're going to demolish again. And it can just become the basis for like getting up there in the first place, placing a couple of solid blocks in the sky, and then deleting the tower really easily from the bottom upwards. Yeah. I think, I think scaffolding is best used in combination with Elytra, though. I can't imagine anybody building a tower that high and then going like having to hold shift to go all the way back down it i feel like if you can jump off the top of a tower and land safely that's it makes it a lot more of a a worthwhile experience for me and for me for me with bubble columns and water drops like i i would much prefer to travel long vertical distances that way where i don't have to touch anything and i go a heck of a lot faster than climbing um yeah for me i think that would be a good resource for them i, I know that the math on the value of um scaffolding in a furnace has changed in one of the recent um pre-releases yes and... it's gonna have a much longer burn time apparently yeah so i don't know whether that brings it on par with anything else in the game um i know that bamboo has a very short um very short smelt time but because you can yeah. get so much bamboo so quickly it's quickly become a favorite fuel for people that have a lot of su super smelters 
Yes, yeah, and I've used that a couple of times with, you know, zero ticking farms and that kind of thing to mm -hmm. to some effect. Um yeah, I think Bamboo is also quite nice as an aesthetic edition, especially in um, sort of Japanese and Chinese-inspired builds, especially the kind yep. of thing that you would expect Bamboo to be growing. Even in modern houses, the fact that you can put one in a flower pot is also kind of nice. Um, uh, one of the members of my server, uh, Anna the Dev, she's got. Um, she said it was temporary. It's just because she wanted to use Bamboo, so she was growing it around her house, and she just decided to um, formulaically draw a square around her house, and it actually kind of looks like a fence, but it's a natural like you know green fence of bamboo and again like you said it's a very attractive block yeah it is uh i'll go through a few negatives now because i do have a couple of things that i think are a little bit lacking or just like missed the mark for me um Gasp. i love pill <laughs> <laughs> i i love pillagers but i hate patrols and i hate bad omen um i yep. really wish pillagers were limited to their structure in the same way that guardians are because yes. patrols have caused chaos for me numerous times when i'm anywhere near villagers and you're stuck in this stalemate where you want to be able to kill the entire patrol but the pillager captain can't be killed because then you would immediately trigger a raid and more of them would show up yep i feel like that just disrupts gameplay too much for me and i would really like to see that reined in i know they have removed like they they, they have had mechanics in the past where patrols wouldn't spawn too close to villages they've removed that in favor of just reducing the number of patrols um that appear in any biome but they still turn up more often than not and i really dislike having them there when i'm trying to just get a villager trading hall going or a villager breeder or something like that yep um with that said, raids, when you actually want them, are a fun challenge. They are rewarding to an extent. You get emeralds, you get totems of undying. You can farm those now in combat-focused ways instead of uh, either trading with villagers for emeralds or going out, you know, raiding woodland mansions for totems of undying. And that's created some really interesting atmosphere within first the PvP community and also uh, server communities like Hermitcraft, which is currently having a bit of a PvP, or not really PvP, that sort of indirect contest to see who can stay alive for the longest. And everybody is now carrying around a totem of undying that they bought. Uh, so yeah, it, it kind of encourages people to use those features a little bit more where previously they were more like treasure items. And I'd never really considered using a totem of undying just because of how rare they were. Right. Uh, cre creating a raid farm for me was a worthwhile experience and was actually kind of fun. And I know people have come up with absurd raid farms that exploit the distances between villages and the player and where bad omen kind of triggers in order to spawn a ton of waves at once and effectively you can farm tons and tons of emeralds in a very short space of time with those so that's really interesting it's an interesting manipulation of the mechanics that as far as i know are still staying intact in 115 so it might be worth looking into if anybody wants to score a, a high amount of emeralds are pillager outposts still an effective way to farm emeralds uh, they kind of are, yeah. I, I, You can't get emeralds from the pillagers themselves, so it's really about converting those into a raid farm. But that's what I did with my raid farm. And yeah, you, you get emeralds specifically from evokers and vindicators, so you basically have to have those present in order to, to turn it into any kind of emerald farm. But right. once you've done that, it's, it's worth doing. And um, I think in Bedrock Edition, pillagers do occasionally drop emeralds, but as far as Java Edition is concerned, they don't which I think might be an interesting addition to their loot tables if it was, but then that would just make the incredibly intense pillager raid farms all the more lucrative for people. Um, speaking of pillagers, I think crossbows are disappointingly skippable. Yes. Um, they, they really didn't add anything that bows didn't do already, aside from maybe multi-shot, but then multi-shot sort of disappoints because 
it's not something that you can really judge particularly well. Like, if I've got three mobs right in front of me, I'm much more likely to be able to swing a sword at them than fire off a multi-shot crossbow and have to reload. And if you have three mobs a little bit of a distance away from you, you're not going to be able to line up a shot so that it hits all three of them with any kind of regularity enough to make multi-shot worth it, unless you are much more skilled in crossbow use, I guess. Uh, the eventual combat update, which we're getting, uh, has allowed multi-shot crossbows to hit with all of their arrows instead of just one. So effectively, you can use it like a shotgun. It could be kind of like, it's a scatter shot at a distance, but it's a lot of damage up close. Like Tridents, I feel like those potentially could come back into vogue a little bit when once combat gets this update. But we don't know exactly when that's going to be. I should add that to uh, as an addendum yeah. to our discussion of it earlier. It's not going to be linked to any one version of Minecraft. It's basically going to be when we think we have implemented this and enough people are happy, then we will just go ahead and do it that way. Yeah. Um, the last thing I'm not happy with from 114 is the Wandering Trader. Uh, and we've <laughs> we've we've uh, dragged the wandering trader on previous episodes, but he needs better trades, or he will forever be useless to anybody who isn't playing Skyblock, in my opinion. Uh, as somebody who has been playing in my world for 1,200 hours now, I don't think the wandering trader would have much to offer me in any case. But I don't even look at the guys anymore. Like they, the only thing I think I would be vaguely interested in is if they had Nautilus shells, and I hadn't been bothered to go to my drowned farm recently. Right. I feel like they could offer an even broader range of stuff with more randomness thrown in and maybe just like rare items showing up occasionally like we've said before like tridents or like the occasional enchanted book that might be difficult to get from all of the librarians especially if new enchantments get added to the game and there's even more stuff to sort through i think it would be nice for wandering traders to really have a greater variety of stuff but yeah. then there's potential for that to be skipping progression and game breaking and that kind of thing so i can understand why they don't however in the meantime the wandering trader is a nice looking but ultimately useless distraction to me i feel like and i know this has come up either in our discussions on the show before over the last um, nine months or um, from listener feedback and that is that the wandering trader is probably aimed at new players like it's meant to be like yeah here's a coral block and the player goes what the heck is a coral block where can i find that or that's a thing i didn't know that was a thing and and in our you know discussions about minecraft not having enough in the game to say point you towards another the fact that you have to look up on the wiki or find out from friends how to build another portal and the game doesn't actually show you that um directly uh in any sort of meaningful way um the wandering trader does sort of fulfill that void of like oh here's some spruce trees or here's some acacia logs it's like well, i don't i've never seen an acacia tree where do i get those you know so it does sort of like you know encourage exploration and, and explain to people that are playing in a biome that might be huge uh you know a huge plains or, or forest biome where they just don't get to see the variation in, in blocks right away uh, they might encourage them so i can appreciate that but like you said once you've played the game for more than 30 minutes you know you're really kind of past that already and you kind of have all the stuff that you need um to keep going 30 minutes might be an exaggeration but like you know once you've had <laughs> you know a, a bit of time in the game and you have a handle on it you quickly realize that oh wait a minute now that i know where these blocks are and i can get them buying sand from this guy is silly i can mine it <laughs> <laughs> much faster yeah. now that i know where a desert is so the usefulness uh drops away quite quickly yeah um, i think that's the problem is just the the lack of use after a certain point in the game i, f I feel yeah. like they, they could be more evergreen if they had 
a greater variety of stuff to trade you because in the early game the stuff that these traders are selling is all obviously going to be like three or four or five emeralds a piece and mm. i feel like in the early game even if they haven't done much exploring yet that probably means players don't have a great deal of emeralds anyway so yeah. all they're being doing is shown a variety of things they can't buy and then when they go out and mine those resources themselves because they found them the wandering trader is still useless because they've got the resources now and they don't need to buy them from him so well, it's, it's a bit of a currency, catch 22 yeah what if his currency wasn't emeralds like what if his currency was just other blocks like i want if it, if it was six... like a straight up trade instead of like yeah. buying something with currency it would make a lot more sense to me yeah like i want 16 grass blocks or 32 grass blocks and that will give you uh four 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 glass you know or four i don't know um coral or like something that's really hard to get early game um but but you have to trade a lot of like the trade being like well you have this resource you have access to it the chances of you having a lot of it though um to get stacks and stacks are probably minimal so uh if you want you know a, a small bit of glass or things that you don't have yet um then he here is a way to get that with some of the resources that you do have on hand like stone or diorite or whatever um that could be a little bit more fun um i he, they do add a little bit of ambiance to the game it's kind of fun to see them wandering around i ignore them it's just like oh <laughs> there's a wandering trader that's fun it's like if nothing squirrel, else they've you know? be, they, they've become a running joke to me at this point and yes. i feel like they have they have value in that sense it's just something to shake your fists at in the same way that some people do at diorite or whatever you know it's like <laughs> yeah having having a feature to hate does make the game somehow more endearing in a strange way <laughs> well um, it's, it's but, like i mentioned in the render distance you know like when you're this passionate about a game or a property or or an experience in life you tend to zone in on the little things because they don't live up to the expectations or the experience of the rest of the game yeah yeah definitely um on the flip side of that i feel like there are some mobs which are in theory kind of useless but actually add some more value to the game than just sort of being there foxes are an example of that i think they they are potentially the best balance between a wild mob and a mob that actually has functionality and is worth keeping around just because it's cute in some cases um foxes being able to farm uh wild berries for you sweet berries and uh in some cases being used in chicken farms is kind of cool and i feel like the amount of work that was put into their appearance and their behavior the fact that you can uh sort of half tame them they can be made to trust you a little bit more the fact that they have that leaping animation when they go to attack something I feel like that really sets them apart from the previous ambient mobs like polar bears and things which were ultimately deemed to be worthless additions in a sense like they're good for ambience but really nothing else and I think foxes are like that. I feel like pandas sort of straddle the line for me um, because pandas are something I see so rarely not being around a jungle biome with a bamboo forest all the time I don't tend to see all that much of them and they've got a bunch of fun features like the fact that they eat cake if you drop it on the ground and the fact that there are all of these different variants of pandas there are some that are rare there are some that sneeze and drop slime balls but i just don't find myself compelled to spend a lot of time around them now pandas are obviously very tied into the chinese national identity and the chinese players might be having an absolute field day with them um and i feel like depending on what you want to do in minecraft you can probably bring pandas into your experience in one way or another but for me i don't feel like they're an essential part of minecraft i don't feel like foxes are either but i feel more compelled to do stuff with foxes than i do with pandas for the moment yeah and you brought up sweet berries no that's one of the things for me is kind of a, a lack 
luster edition in 114. I don't hate them, but I don't use them because, well, once I have them, they're really nothing I can do with them. Uh, yeah. Like you, they don't give you any kind of super food buff. They don't like, they don't contribute to the game in any other way other than slowing mobs and damaging you. And um, you know, they, they look okay. It's not my favorite texture. I don't find it matches with anything. Um, something that I find um, with the 114 texture update, well, an excellent update across the board as they've added more blocks to the game, I've noticed that there's not a lot of color harmony. So they've added this great berry bush and it's this prickly green color, but it doesn't go with anything else. And so it's really hard to kind of integrate it into builds and not have it stand out like a sore thumb and not make it look like it just doesn't belong. And so I don't use it that much, um, in addition to its functionality not being very high. Um, so I, I feel like there is some, we'll say unity or I'm trying to think about the whether there's some harmony I think that has to happen with some of the new additions uh, across the board. And they've surprised us in the past. Like Mo Yang has surprised us with like, well, here's what we're telling you we're adding to this update. And then on release, there's stuff we just didn't anticipate, right? Um, and so I'm hoping that that's that's the case this time around. Uh, for me, the bigger I think um, we'll say glitches accurately in 114. My bigger complaints are performance related. I didn't yeah. notice it as much uh, for a while because I was playing on um, the Citadel by myself. But in terms of multiplayer servers, uh, we are getting a ton of ghost blocks. Like I'm talking ghost blocks every 20 minutes, uh, yeah. depending on what I'm doing in the nether. Uh, I, I'm really seeing a lot of um, player location lag or rubber banding. And I'm talking 15, 20 blocks. Like I will go through a doorway, down a hall, and then zoop, be back to where I started. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and it's very off-putting, uh, and I mean, you just kind of accept it as like, well, it's not hurting me. It's not, I'm not losing blocks. I'm not, you know, things like this are not breaking the game, but it's, it's obviously, uh, not a good experience, especially for the other three or four or five people, um, that are on the server. Um, and for people like you and I that have like patron servers, it becomes an issue, um, for people that have lower connectivity, that sort of thing. So I am looking forward to both the feedback that we've had from some of our listeners that are playing on single player and on multiplayer servers for 115 being a better performer uh, in terms of that kind of thing than than 114 was. Um, I um, had to uh, dig back and kind of look at some of my notes on other um, podcasts about 114. And uh, there was a solid two weeks where I couldn't play it at all uh, because yeah. uh, the... Uh, there was a rendering issue where, I mean, obviously everyone experienced the chunk rendering problem, but I specifically on a Mac had a, a screen tearing bug that made it impossible to play. Uh, and I just could not play for two weeks until they fixed it. Uh, I think that it was maybe 14.3 or 14.4 that it fixed, but uh, it was definitely a, a long time. Uh, and we had, I think we had updated the server and other people on the server could play because they were PC players, but I couldn't because I was on, on a Mac. And so that was really tricky. So I'm cautiously optimistic, but I am not going to be updating to Buzzy Bees the day one. Uh, I'll download it and I'll try it on a single player world. Uh, I do have plans to download the Citadel as a backup and and load it into a single player and mess around with it in 115. But I I will be waiting a little while um, before the dust settles uh, to install it on the Citadel server and see where we go from there. Uh, especially because I, I mean they're revamping the way the texture packs work, and I have a couple of texture packs that I would like to continue to use. So I want to make sure that those are up to date and changed and, and work 
with uh, with the new update. If anything, actually, it might you know kick my butt into gear and get my texture pack organized. And rather than running three or four, just run one. You know, because yeah. I've got I've got things I like in different things, and I should really just combine them all uh, to the best of my abilities into one thing. Uh, call it the Citadel Pack or something like that. Just so, um, not just for me, but also to distribute to other members in the server. So if they want to use it, they can do that. Um, yeah, and it's going to be worth knowing what changes in that respect and like yeah. exactly how some of that stuff needs to be reformatted because yeah. uh, texture pack creators are usually kind of on top of that thing. But yeah, mm -hmm. it's still a world I know very little about. Um, thinking about other stuff that changed between 1.14 and 1.14.3 and 4, Iron Farms went through a bit of a rough time for a while. Um, I think that was one of the takeaways from the technical community, at least for this version, is that um, yeah, villager mechanics changing meant that a lot of existing iron farming infrastructure just completely broke and a lot of people were just trying to figure out the best ways of farming iron with the mechanics that we had and then eventually i think we're coming out of it stronger as a result because uh, the developers and the technical community now have a more open channel of communication where they can go back and forth on different solutions to the problems and ultimately we've ended up with a what i think is a much improved system of iron farms where you have three villagers you know one zombie that's a, a minimal amount of entities producing iron golems pretty regularly and i think ultimately a more accessible way of farming large quantities of iron for the average player compared to the sheer amount of effort that you had to go through to build you know tango tech's iron titan or yeah. anything like that so while iron farming has gone through a lot of permutations and a lot of the community's efforts in the past are no longer relevant to the current game it is now a situation where the average person can sling together an iron farm and is probably going to have a better time doing it. So while that was a bit rough for a while, much like the rendering issues people were having early on, I think we've come out of that with a better solution than we had previously. And and my experience with Minecraft, I want to be clear too, uh, in that light, uh, from 1.12 with the color update, world of color update, the trajectory has been up. There has been some yeah. dips, but overall, I feel like we always seem to land in a better place than we were before. Uh, I've not messed with villager trades because I'm waiting for the changes to be finished before I put any great effort into that because of how problematic villagers are to move around and deal with. But yes. I feel like the way that we trade with villagers now, even when they're this bug that we have this infinite trade is fixed, I still think it's better than the way that they were traded with before. I think it encourages yes. more creative ways rather than just like, well, the only way to do this is to put them all in single cell sort of situations and do it that way. It's a lot yes. more fun, I think, and, and provides a better message too. Uh, all overall, I think, you know, textures and blocks and all these new things, it's always a step up. The, the only time that I feel pulled back by my opinion of Minecraft and the, and the development direction that it's taking is that you have these great strides and this, this onward upward trajectory in terms of the game and its development. But then you have these obvious things to the player that are missing, you know, like we talked about with the blast furnace or, you know, a, a slab texture that you think really should have been in there because they covered everything else. And it's the kind of thing where you're just like, that's really obvious. Why did you miss that? When, all of this effort has been made to make this, you know, upward trajectory and have all these other things work together. And I think that's kind of like where I stand on it is that the major parts of 113, 114 going forward and what we're looking at with 115, Bs look really fun. Like, don't get me wrong. I know we haven't talked about it much today because we're going to be talking about it in a couple of weeks, I'm sure. But I feel like that kind of stuff is all positive for me. It's just that there's these little things that kind of feel like I said, so obvious that kind of 
they don't taint it. They just kind of, it's like someone poking you in the ribs and be just like, hey, you remember this? This isn't here. And he's like, oh, darn it. I was distracted by the cool <laughs> new villages. And then you reminded me that this thing doesn't work the way that I want it to. You know, like they, they're nitpicky, but they, they stand out because of, I think, how obvious they are to the player. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think looking forwards, we are potentially looking at 115, adding some stuff and fixing some stuff that almost feels like 115 is like completing 1.14 in a weird sort of way. While there are yeah. still, like you said, a few omissions in the case of, you know, certain slabs and blocks and stuff not being quite there and functionality for some stuff not quite being there. I think with fixing bugs with villager trading and, and getting the villager trading behavior really locked in and no more changes coming to iron farming and, and various other things, I really feel like 115 is, if not, you know, limiting them from making any changes in future, if down the line some of this stuff really needs to be rebalanced and addressed, I think 115 is sort of calling an end to the idea that 114 is not quite complete. I'm really hoping that that's the, the thing we take away from it. And looking forward, I'm I'm interested in what we can do with bees, and honey blocks are really going to open up slime block technology to people in a way that I don't think a lot of people will have messed with slime blocks before. It's going to be possible to do a lot more with those now if just the snapshot development on like piston doors and stuff is anything to go by so i'm very much looking forward to that but i think the main thing is going to be uh hearing what the community thinks and next episode as i mentioned at the top of the show is going to be a chunk mail dispenser episode so if you have opinions about what you've taken away from 1.14 that you would like to share with us please do send them in to the spawn chunks at gmail.com it's always lovely to hear from people and i'm sure we'll have an absolute ton of email to read on the next show but that is going to be it for this episode of the spawn chunks thank you so much for listening and you can find some of the uh, links to the stuff we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com the music for the show is composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud as always to be a listener supported podcast uh, this is the top end of the month we like to give our patrons an extra special thank you at the start of the month because patreon is currently processing all of its stuff and if you want to join our community visit patreon.com slash the spawn chunks pledging at any level there will get you an invite to our patrons only discord chat gets us closer to our next milestone goals and you can join our community which is currently at 139 patrons which is down one from last week but once again it is uh, patreon processing time so sometimes those things don't just come through all the time uh, i want to give a special thanks to our content engineers cameron segelski greener canuck jd williamson and yitz for their support on this episode Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. It's free. Just tell people about it. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram, but personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Poke a friend in the arm, tell server mates about it, say, hey, you, these guys are talking about all the latest things happening in Minecraft and Minecraft Earth and Minecraft Dungeons when it comes out. So we're going to be hopefully touching on a lot of things in the future. So uh, please share it around. It really does help us quite a bit. You can email the show, as Johnny suggested, at thespawnchunks at gmail.com subscribe on itunes android stitcher spotify and now youtube and of course you can find the rss feed on the and the patron only rss feed for the extended conversation in the render distance is on the patreon page my name is johnny but online i go by pixel riffs and you can find most of what i do at youtube.com slash pixel riffs where i attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game and occasionally take a winter holiday at the Minecraft Survival Guide series. I stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for the Survival Guide. A lot of terraforming going to be happening there fairly soon. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixel Riffs on both Twitter 
and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I am doing online right now is at joelduggan.com. That includes links to podcasts I do, like The Citadel Cafe about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment, as well as Twitch and YouTube and other places where I share my Minecraft and now my No Man's Sky streams. So if you're into those kind of fun exploratory video games, then check me out on Twitch. I've been having a lot of fun over there. It's twitch.tv slash joelduggan. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite and winter is coming.